face, I, I love technology. Um, pretty soon I'm going to have an iPhone 5. Uh, I, that's my weakness. I, I like technology and uh, some of the things that it can do for us. But I'll tell you, Facebook is an enigma to me. I, I, I look at Facebook and sometimes I just scratch my head. I, I can't quite figure it out. And what it has caused me to do is to realize that there is a disconnect between people who say they are followers of Jesus and who are really followers of Jesus. Can I give you an example? This doesn't come from anybody's uh, face. Don't go running home or don't pull out your phone and try to change things before somebody finds it. I'm not talking about anybody in particular. But here's what I'll see on Facebook. I love God. You know, this is profile. I love Jesus. I love the Bible. It's listed at the top of your favorite books. But then below those statements, our affirmation of our Christianity, our affirmation of a belief in Jesus and and our love for the Bible, we'll see some of the most salacious... I love the Bible, but I love this movie and that movie. I love this book and that book. I listen to this kind of music and that kind of music. Things that run contrary to the profession that we're making to be a disciple of Jesus. And what it causes me to realize is that for a lot of people, Christianity, being a disciple of Jesus, is what takes place right here in this building. But then the rest of the week is who we really are or who we are the rest of the week. Um, And there shouldn't be that kind of disconnect. My Christianity ought to permeate who I am today, but also tomorrow. And it ought to be reflected in how we present ourselves on Facebook. I, I think on Facebook, we're honest. We, we share who we really are. And maybe we need to look and see if that's who we really want to be. Because we can't have one foot in the world and one foot with God and be pleasing to God. You're either a friend of the world or and an enemy of God, or you're a friend of God and an enemy of the world. And, and my call today and tonight is to make a decision, make a choice. Who are you going to serve? Will you really be a disciple of Jesus? And if you're willing to do that, what, what, what does that mean? What, what does that entail? The passage that Justin just read from 1 Peter chapter 2 uh, is in particular in the context of suffering, but the principle applies uh, in other facets of our life. We should follow in the footsteps of Jesus. In particular, we need to learn to suffer as Jesus suffered, but we also need to learn other things that Jesus did and, and follow in his footsteps. If we were to be a disciple of Jesus, just, just what does that mean? I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. How, how do we become a disciple of Jesus? Let me, let me tell you something. I know there's a whole bunch of military guys here. There are a lot of guys that have spent time and are still in uh, the military. I've never been in the military. But what if, what if I build an obstacle course in my backyard and I climbed over things and I crawled under things, and I practiced at that a little while. What if I went to the Army Surplus store and got me some camouflage pants and shirt, got a uniform, 
even bought a canteen. What if I went to Walmart and got a pretty neat backpack and I fill it up with heavy things and march around my yard when I'm not running over the obstacle course? What if I told you that I know a lot about the Army? I know about, a lot about military service. You see, I've watched the Dirty Dozen. I've watched the Guns of Navarone. I can whistle the tune to the bridge over the River Kwai. Uh, I, I know all that. So since I have some connection, can, can I be counted as those who are in the service of the country? Next time somebody says, would all the servicemen stand and rise? Because I do those things, could I rightfully stand and rise too and take credit and get acknowledgement for my service? I think such would be a sham to those who truly served. That, that's not acceptable. But I think that's where a lot of people are coming from when it comes to service to Jesus. There are a lot of people who will intellectually be a, an admirer of Jesus from a distance. Or they may even do some things and incorporate some things of Jesus' teachings into their own lives because they like them. And, and they, may, they may practice a lot of the things that Jesus practices, like loving your husband and being faithful and loving your wife and being a good parent and, and a number of other things. Does that make you a disciple? If you go to church on Sunday, does that make you a disciple? Because you go places where disciples go. You see, there's more to being a disciple than just being like Jesus. There's a rite of initiation, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that tonight. But I want you to understand that being a disciple is is being like Jesus with an initiation in the beginning. And, and I want us to understand that um, the change that will happen to us when we decide, I'm going to be a disciple of Christ. When, when we do what he asks us to do, when we meet those, those uh, requirements to uh, become a disciple, there are a couple of things that are going to happen. Number one, well, Paul said it this way in Galatians 2 and verse 20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I'm dead. My, my life, I, I nailed to the cross. And everything that I am and who I'm going to be from now on is going to be summed up in Jesus. It's as if he lives inside of me. I no longer am alive for myself. That's what it means to be a disciple. That's the kind of change that should be characterized in your life. There's no duality. There's no, oh, I like this about Jesus, but I like this about the church. Discipleship is an abandonment of our former self and an embracing of Jesus in a whole way. The Bible also tells us in Colossians chapter 1, and verse 27, that Christ in us is our hope of glory. We have no hope. Because of our sinfulness, we have no hope of going to heaven unless Jesus is in us. It's not that we're close to him. We're in proximity to other people in whom Jesus abides. He has to be in us if we're to be, if we're to have a chance of going to heaven. Christ in you, the hope of glory. The Bible tells us also in Romans chapter 8 and verse 29 that it's the will of God 
that we should be conformed to the image of his son. You know, and, I, and I, again, if we just use, the, you remember how you used to have tracing paper as a child? It was real thin and you could lay a picture underneath it and lay the tracing paper down on top of it. And then you would, you would trace because you could see the lines underneath it. That's the point that God is making. The disciple of Jesus ought to be one who is conformed to the image of Jesus. You have his image and you try to match up precisely with who he is and, and what he did and what he taught. That's what it means to be a disciple. Those are the kind of changes that will take over your life if you truly become a disciple. So I want us to turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. And I want to look at three things that being a disciple of Jesus will do to your life and how it will affect your life. Because if it affected Jesus, if this is what Jesus did, it'll be what we do as disciples. And these are three qualities and characteristics that I believe exist in this church that are easily seen among this group of followers of Jesus. But I believe we can do better. I think we can improve. And I think uh, by improving and putting these three things into practice and work, we will strengthen this church by leaps and bounds. In Matthew chapter 8... There are at least three stories that I want to draw your attention to, three events in the life of Jesus that demonstrate what it means to be a disciple. In Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, we see that Jesus has contact with a leper, and he heals this leper. And so the first point is this, Jesus cared for people. And we see that in Matthew chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. A leper comes to Jesus and falls down and worships him and says to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus put out his hand and touched him, saying, I'm willing, be cleansed. Immediately, the leprosy was cleansed. I want to make note, and I know you already see it coming, but I want you to see that Jesus touched a leper. He didn't stand from a distance. He didn't say, whoa, 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 whoa wait, wait, right, stand right there. And well, the other day when we were uh, helping Sandy move in at her apartment, um, there was a girl came out and she had this seven-foot boa constrictor around her neck. And she came walking over to me and I was like, is that really what I think it is? And it, it was. It was, a, it was a python, excuse me, a Burmese python. And uh, I said, can, can I get a picture of that? Um, and she said, sure. And so she started walk right to me. I said, no, no, wait, you stay right where you are and let me, I'll zoom if I need to zoom. <laughs> and, I, and I took her, her picture. I didn't want her close to me. I didn't like what she had. Jesus didn't treat this leper in that fashion. Here's a man who has a disease, a dreaded disease, uh, um, a marring disease. Have you seen what leprosy, how it disfigures the body? This man comes to Jesus and Jesus touches him and heals him. Why did he touch him? Didn't have to. Jesus healed many people without having to touch them. I think it showed he cared. People like to be touched. 
And for Jesus to reach out and touch this man, it was an affirmation of this man. You're not untouchable. You're not unlovable. I love you, and I'm concerned for you, and I will grant your request. A moment that is one of those moments in my life that just, um, I wish I didn't have memory of it. I was visiting the hospital a number of years ago, and I was, uh, there was a young man in the hospital bed, and I was leaning up against the wall, and we were talking, and and as I was leaning into the wall, I said, well, what's going on with you? And, And he says, well, my immune system's low, and I've contracted a virus, and I'm pretty sick. And I said, well, what caused it? And he said, well, I was swimming in a creek, and um, something in the creek got in my system, and, and now, you know, I'm, I'm sick. And I said, well, why is it such an issue? I mean, you're, he was really sick. I said, well, why is it such an issue? I mean, what? And he, he said, Steve, I have AIDS. I was leaning against the wall when he said that, and when he said it, I went like that took a step back from him, jumped off against the... Uh, I didn't want to touch that wall that he might have touched. I felt terrible. It was already done. It was a reflex. And I wondered for a long time what must have gone through that young man's mind to see me react in that fashion. I repented of that. I prayed for forgiveness for treating that man in that fashion. It wasn't intentional. But I later sat with him for five hours as he uh, finally died. But I don't want to be that person ever again. I want to be like Jesus. Jesus cared for people. And people knew that they were loved and cared for by him. In John 11 verse 35, Jesus wept. And we know that he wasn't weeping because Lazarus was dead, because he had every intention of raising Lazarus. He knew that ahead of time. He wanted Lazarus to go ahead and pass so that he could use the opportunity to show the power and glory of God. It it was all a part of his plan. He knew that in moments he'd be alive again, all would be well. But he wept nonetheless. Why? Because he was pained by Mary and Martha who are brokenhearted and they don't know his plan. And as he looked at them and their sorrow, he was moved to tears. We, if we become a disciple of Jesus, will care about people. People will be more to us than just objects. They'll be more to us than, than just uh, inconveniences to our schedule. We will truly care about what happens to them and the things that go on in their life. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse 14, on one occasion the multitudes pressed against Jesus and he looked at them with compassion. He saw them as a a sheep without a shepherd and he was moved by what he saw. A disciple of Jesus will be somebody who can be touched by people and will therefore express that compassion to them in a way that People feel cared for. Jesus touched that leper when he didn't have to. We need to be a part of people's lives in such a fashion that they know we care for them. Another thing, well, let me just say this too along that line, because I think, you know, when someone responds to the invitation here, 
I have never seen anywhere that I've ever been before, I have never seen the kind of response that takes place. You know, if somebody, when uh, the prayer is, the service is over, there will be people lined up all the way to the door, that aisle, all the way to the door, that aisle, all wanting to come by. What does that say? It says that person's loved, that they're more than, man, you're delaying lunch. It's so much deeper than that. We need to show people, and that's a great way that we do it. We need to show people that we care for them in visible ways. That's what Jesus did, and that's what we need to be about. A second thing, that if I'm going to be a disciple of Jesus, when I look at Jesus in Matthew chapter 8, I see that he cared for people, but I also see that he complimented people. Look at what it says in verses 5 through 10. There's a centurion, a Roman soldier, who has a servant. He is sick. And he asked Jesus if he would come and heal him. The centurion said, I'm not worthy for you to even come under the roof of my house. I just want you to say he's better, and I'll take your word for it. At that point, Jesus could have done just that. He could have said, your servant is well. It could have been matter-of-fact, another person among multitudes of people that Jesus healed that day. But that's not what Jesus did. It's not the way he handled it. When this centurion, a man of authority, came to Jesus, listen what Jesus says. Jesus, verse 10, heard it. When he heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. This is an outsider. This is a Roman soldier. And he has come to Jesus requesting that his son be healed or his servant be healed. And Jesus, he says, I don't, want him, I don't even want you to come to my house. I, I'm a man of authority. I know how it works. All you have to do is say the thing and it's done. And Jesus could have just said it and kept walking. But he stopped and he told everybody, he said, listen, folks, You see this man right here? I have not seen such great faith in anyone, not even among the Israelites. He bragged on this man. This man had shown great faith and trust in Jesus, and Jesus didn't sweep it under the carpet. He called attention to it. This man has done something great. He has demonstrated a faith that I don't even see among God's own people. Pay notice of him. We need to be people who complement each other. We need to be a people who, like Jesus, don't sweep under the carpet acts of kindness and Christ-likeness. Call it to attention. Romans chapter 14 and verse 19 says that we are to pursue the things that make for peace and whereby we might edify one another. Let's pursue things that make for peace and things that build people up. Have you ever gone home mad because somebody told you how good you are? That ever gets you upset? Well, I can't stand that person. They're always bragging on me. Who, Who says that? Nobody gets upset when they're complimented for good that they do. 
Oh, I don't like to be around them. They're always telling me I'm doing a good job. People don't say that. Listen, talk to people. We, we're all... Can, can I do a challenge for you? Will you accept a challenge from me? For the next two, three weeks... Everybody gets on, almost everybody has the internet. Not everybody does, but almost everybody does. Take three minutes out of your Facebook time and on a daily basis, just send a brief email to somebody and tell them what they mean to you. Tell them how proud you are. Tell them of something you've seen. Tell them how your faithfulness or their faithfulness has been an encouragement to you. Tell them how that their uh, poor health but their faith in the midst of that health has been a strength to you. Tell them something that encourages them, that is a compliment to them, that demonstrates that their attempt to be like Jesus is not unnoticed. Will you do that? How long does it take to write an email? Three minutes. You can have it done. You don't have to write a book to the person. Just do that. And do you? can you imagine... What an impact that will have on people's lives. I'm not going to embarrass somebody. I'm not going to read what this all says. I got a note this past month, and it says this, part of it. We feel that you coming to Carnes at the time you did was a part of God's woven web of providence in our lives. Well, that really upsets me. You know, I just hate reading stuff like that. That, that's not soon forgotten. And if we will collectively call to attention the things, the, the positive ways that other people have touched our lives, that will set them on fire. That will give them the strength to see through a difficult day. That will re-embolden them and, and double their efforts to try to live more like Jesus. Jesus when given the opportunity to compliment a person or to walk away, he complimented them. Proverbs tells us that in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 27, that we ought to give honor to whom honor is due. Let's be a people that do that. And then here's the last point. Jesus changed people. He cared for them, he complimented them, and he changed them. In Matthew chapter 8... Beginning in verse 23, there's that, or verse 28, there's that story of the man who was possessed by a demon, and uh, he was out of his mind. He was living in the, the graveyard, the cemetery, and the tombs, and just crazy out of his mind. And Jesus heals him, casts the demon out of him and into swine, and you remember the story. But that man's life was given back to him because of what Jesus did. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, we are a new creation in Christ. Old things are passed away, all things have become new. The Bible tells us in John chapter 5 and verse 24 that in Jesus we have passed from death to life. If I'm a disciple of Jesus, it's going to be my mission to change people. I want them to understand their value when they have reached rock bottom and they don't see a whole lot of worth in themselves and life has become a drudgery to them, I want to help them to understand that they matter 
to Jesus and that their life can be completely changed and given purpose. That's what Jesus did with people. He took people who were a wreck, like me and like you, and he fixed us. He changed us. He's given us purpose, and he's given us hope. That's what we need to be doing as disciples. We need to be reaching out to people whose lives are a wreck. Those are not the people to run from. Those are the people that, are run, that we need to be running to. And we need to help them to see their value and their worth before God. And let's change them by giving them purpose and meaning and hope in their life. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to call you all to bring back the connection between being a disciple of Jesus and and being able to say, oh yeah, I'm a disciple of Jesus, I love God, the Bible, Jesus, the church, I'm all for that, and yet I also love all these other things. I want us to get rid of that disconnect between what we profess and what we practice. If we're a disciple of Jesus, we are people who like Jesus, who like Jesus, will care for people, who will compliment people, encourage and edify them, and who will help them change their lives, giving them purpose, reason to live, and to live with hope. If you're here this morning and you're not yet a child of God, if you're not yet a disciple of Jesus, again, being a disciple doesn't mean that you do some of the things disciples do, that you hang out in the same vicinity and, you, and you, you, you're close with those in whom God does abide. It means he must abide in you. The Bible tells us in Galatians 3 that as many as, or Romans 4, 6, excuse me, for as many of us as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. If you want to put on Christ this morning and become a disciple and begin to live and behave like he did and affect people's lives for the better, we invite you to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, and you know there's some disconnect in my life I need to fix, I want to be a better representation. I want to better conform to the image of Jesus, and I need our church to pray for me. We'll pray with you if you'll come as we stand together and sing.